When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to the Ahsoka Episode 3 Breakdown. We have a lot of stuff to cover. This was one of their shortest episodes yet. However, I think this is going to be one of my longer breakdowns because there is a ton of stuff. And I know at first glance at the episode, a lot of fans might be kind of unhappy with it or thinking it's slow or mid or whatever. But I assure you there is a ton of stuff in here that comes directly from George Lucas. A lot of stuff that I've been covering over the years that kind of go under the radar because they're not really up to date in terms of what's trending or what's topical, but now it seems like this kind of information literally is. So let's get right into the episode and we can discuss about it afterwards. As Ahsoka and Sabine blast off into hyperspace in the T6 Jedi Starfighter, Hu Yang and Sabine are training in different lightsaber fighting forms as he has trained Jedi in lightsaber combat and hilt building for hundreds of years. So yes, he does look like Grievous with the forearms, but what he's doing is he is calibrating and making sure Sabine is hitting and striking at the right angle and the right moments, depending on his commands. Now, Sabine's training in swordplay comes from her Mandalorian roots and upbringing. However, she also learned how to use a darksaber from Kanan in Star Wars Rebels. Ahsoka tells her that these skills alone won't be enough to defeat their enemy. She tells Sabine to train the mind as much as she is training the body. Telling her to keep an open mind, learning to wield the force takes a deeper commitment than training the physicalities of a fight. This is a part of the show that I know many will have a problem with, seeing as how many fans don't want Sabine to be force sensitive, including myself. However, now that Dave has gone to this explanation, which I never thought that he would go this far into something that George mentioned outside of lore, outside of movies, sort of. I am actually really okay with it, and it makes complete sense because it's stuff that George has been talking about for decades. Okay, so what do I mean by this? Well, George Lucas established many, many years ago that everyone is force sensitive. Yes, everybody. That means Watto, that means literally any character that you have seen in Star Wars who is sentient, meaning alive, is force sensitive. Now, it's all dependent on if that person has interest to manifest and develop their abilities or not. Obviously, there are things like midichlorian differences in force users that dictate who is more gifted and who isn't, and also who will have an easier time using the force compared to those who won't. George Lucas has said it's like learning karate. Everyone can take a class, but it depends if you're into that sort of thing or not. I like to think that there is a unified reality to life and that it exists everywhere in the universe and that it controls things, but you can also control it. Hu Yang says she's a bad candidate to be a Jedi. The worst, in fact. And this, of course, is because every Jedi that he has been around or helped train has been more Force-sensitive than Sabine and most likely had a master from the Jedi Temple. Now, clearly, Jedi take babies who are Force-sensitive and they sort of sniff them out when they're very young based on their midichlorian levels, based on their ability with the Force. 
from a very infantile stage. So it's very untraditional why Ahsoka is training Sabine in the ways of the Force. However, she's very desperate and she wants Sabine to learn as much as she can if she is to help her find Ezra and go against these dark Jedi. Sabine puts on the helmet with the visor and this is a callback to Luke being trained by Obi-Wan in A New Hope. The point of this is to take away one's main distraction as a Jedi, which is their vision. Funny enough, this is what went with Kanan. His vision was gone. They need to think less and feel more, as Qui-Gon would say. And this is why this method is so important and so vital in a Jedi's training. Ahsoka trains Sabine as best as she can with these exercises, but it doesn't really do much. You can see some moments where Sabine's intuition serves her well. However, I don't think she's very skilled in the Force at all. Especially, of course, compared to Anakin, for example, who is extremely gifted. So it's going to take Sabine a lot of time to develop any sort of Force power, and with a ton of training, maybe Maybe she'll be able to do very basic things in the Force. I think her potential is extremely limited. Whereas Anakin pretty much, you know, was without even knowing how to use the Force, was able to see the ship, the cup, with, you know, sort of forced telepathy as Mace Windu was testing him in the Jedi Council. Ahsoka and Sabine train where she drops Sabine and says anger and frustration are quick to give power, but they also unbalance you. This is the perfect explanation of the Sith and the dark side. Basically, the dark side allows you to tap into more power. However, it makes you unbalanced because you're so emotional. Nick Gillard, who I interviewed on the channel and who is essentially responsible for making the prequel trilogy fights epic, explained that the dark side makes you skip a level or two like Anakin Skywalker did in Revenge of the Sith, where he turned to the dark side during Order 66. But in doing so, you kind of miss a lot of fundamental things. As A-Wings fly to the Mon Cala ships, and the Mon Cala here, uh, if you didn't know, are the same species as Admiral Akbar. they were major allies of the Republic and the New Republic, we see the planet they're orbiting and it seems to be Coruscant. Now, A-Wing ships here are very prominent in the original trilogy and they were created by Ralph McQuarrie in The Return of the Jedi. Now, they were originally blue, but were later changed to red because blue screen technology didn't exist at the time. So, it's nice to see them in their original color once again. Hera goes to meet with the New Republic politicians, and one of them being Mon Mothma from the prequels and originals, who had a major hand in helping the rebellion against the Empire, as well as support Luke Skywalker and basically a fan of the Jedi. Another member of the politicians here is Ziono, who is the father of the main character in Star Wars Resistance animated show. Ziono was killed on Hosnian Prime in The Force Awakens by Starkiller Base. So Hera explains the situation to them, gets them brought up to speed, and says the Imperials really aren't loyal to the New Republic, which is what we found out in Episode 2. They're still loyal to the Empire. The politicians don't believe it, and as usual, you know, the Republic or New Republic politicians are just kind of, in other words, not very bright. They don't seem to learn from their mistakes. So Hera mentions Thrawn, and Mon Mothma is very alarmed, believing him to be dead. Hera asks for a task force to be sent to the Denab system, where the planet Cetos is, and also where that hyperspace ring is. And of course, they deny her request. Ziono grills her, saying that she's just using this as an excuse to search for her dead friend Ezra. Things get pretty heated, Hera fires back a bit, and, you know, the conversation doesn't really go anywhere. Also, a little side note, the alien next to Zono on the far right is a Gran, and we first saw his species, of course, in Episode 4, New Hope, in the cantina, but also in the Phantom Menace during the pod race scene, chanting in the crowd. So, the politicians don't believe Thrawn is coming back, and even if they do, they don't really care. They don't see him as a threat, and that's because they don't know how dangerous he is. We then see Jason Syndulla. This is Hera and Kanan's son. Kanan died in the Rebels animated show. He was a powerful Jedi who trained Ezra and then taught Sabine how to swing a darksaber. 
Jason wants to be a Jedi, and this kind of sets precedent for future Jedi joining Luke or maybe someone else to learn from, maybe more Jedi to join the team. I know there are a lot of Jason Syndulla fans out there, so if you're one of them, let me know. Ahsoka and Sabine complete their daily training, and Sabine is really struggling with learning the Force. This is a huge moment in the episode because it kind of answers a lot of questions and really dives deep into what George has always sort of said about everyone having the Force and why doesn't everyone just use it. So Ahsoka explains more to us fans about how the Force is being used by people who don't technically become Jedi or Sith, if everyone has it, for example. She mentions that using the Force can't be something you do fast. Sabine says that she doesn't feel the Force, and Ahsoka says, basically Yoda's line to Luke from The Empire Strikes Back, and says, the Force resides in all living things, even you, where Sabine questions why everyone doesn't just use the Force if that's the case, and Ahsoka tells her that talent is a major factor. This is of course very true in the sense that if we compared Anakin to Sabine, we see that Anakin is extremely talented and gifted in the Force, not to mention he has an incredible amount of midichlorians that Sabine most definitely does not possess. If you want more clarification on midichlorians from George Lucas, please see my midichlorian video uploaded just about a month ago that goes into great detail about midichlorians, into explanation of how it all works, and essentially George Lucas explaining to us in his own words what midichlorians are and how they operate in the body. Just a quick rundown, midichlorians are like receptors of the force and the more receptors you have, the more powerful your potential can be. So for Sabine, she probably has a very weak level of midichlorians, much like Obi-Wan Kenobi who also wasn't very gifted in the force, but through discipline and training, he was able to become one of the best Jedi masters out there. The same could be said for Sabine or even Watto for that matter. If they are disciplined enough to do it and follow it through. Ahsoka says training and focus are what truly defines someone's success. Not everyone has what it takes to master the ways of the Force. Ahsoka talks to Hu Yang about Sabine's progress, and you can tell that Ahsoka is having a tough time, while Hu Yang admits to her that she never would have been chosen at the Jedi Temple, and this is because she doesn't possess enough midichlorians, or affinity to the Force, I believe, or really talent for that matter. Hu Yang then says there have only been very few Mandalorians who have been Jedi, and he is referring to Tar Vizsla, who was the first Mandalorian Jedi to have ever existed and to be brought into the temple. He also created the Darksaber and also connected the Jedi to Mandalorians, you know, during a time where the two weren't always too kind to each other. When Tar died, the Darksaber was kept in the Jedi Temple and then stolen by House of Vizsla Mandalorians. Now, he was the ancestor of Pre Vizsla, who we saw fall to Darth Maul in the Clone Wars, and ancestor to Paz Vizsla, who we also saw in the Mandalorian, as well as a few others. During Rebels, Sabine's dad, Aldric Wren, brought her to the statue to appreciate the history of the Force Mandalorian. Jedi. So it seems like this is all kind of just building up to what she was originally intended for. I don't think she's going to be an extremely powerful Jedi, but I do think she's now going to have some force sensitivity and being trained by the apprentice of the Chosen One definitely speeds her up. Now, if she's going to be some crazy, insane force user, I'm going to have a major problem with that, but I really don't see that happening. Ahsoka tells Hu Yang that she doesn't want Sabine to be a Jedi and that the Jedi failed when he tells her that the standards of the Jedi Order were proven over a millennia. Clearly Ahsoka is still salty over the Jedi and what they did to her. And essentially what they did, which I can go over in another video if you haven't watched The Clone Wars, is they framed her and she was going to go to jail or even die. But in the end, truth was brought to justice and Barriss Afi was the one who framed her the whole time. Ahsoka also tells Hu Yang she doesn't need Sabine to be a Jedi, just needs her to be herself. This is a very Ahsoka thing to say and she felt 
felt that this was very wrong with Jedi training, that one must be something that they're not, and forcing one to become either a soldier or a political lapdog or something else entirely. Kind of how she felt that they forced her to be. Huyang says Ahsoka comes from a long line of non-traditional Jedi. She phases out and looks annoyed. And why is this? This is probably because she thinks about Anakin, as Anakin was untraditional in the sense that he was brought to the Jedi Temple when he was nine years old, full of attachments and anger and fear, not to mention impatience, much like Sabine. Sabine tries to do what every kid in the 90s and 2000s did by hoping to move a cup with the Force, saying the Force is in all of us, and this is kind of a line from Chirrut Imwi in Rogue One, who says, I am one with the Force and the Force is with me. Everyone has the Force, as George Lucas said. This is nothing new. If you've read the lore and you've read a lot of backstory stuff, behind the scenes stuff with George Lucas, Star Wars archive stuff with Paul Duncan, then you know that George has always been talking about this kind of stuff, that everyone in the Star Wars galaxy has the Force. It just depends how much of it you tap into and how much you practice. Some people have limits, others like Anakin do not. They enter the Denab system and drop from hyperspace as their comms are cut. The T6 Jedi Starfighter comes out of hyperspace and Sabine asks why they're dropping out so far from the planet. And Huyang says, typical Jedi protocol. Sabine gets angered because she feels like he's really taking a jab at the whole you're not a Jedi thing. And she learns that Jedi protocol here is that when you're approaching an unknown situation, in order to avoid enemy surveillance, you drop out really far from the planet. Huyang mentions something much larger that he notices, and this of course is the hyperspace docking ring. As six ships close in on Ahsoka, two ships are Shin Hattie and Merok. If we take note very quickly of Shin Hattie's headset, this is the same type of headset Obi-Wan Kenobi used in the prequel trilogy, namely Episode 2 Attack of the Clones. Now this gives me even more of a Jedi prequel vibe from Shin and Balin, and I think the reason for this is because Balin escaped Order 66 with the technology that he had at the time, which was the era of the Republic, and so they have been using these items since then. The sounds of the ships themselves sound like pod racers, and the music harkens to the time of the Republic as well. Sabine takes the tail gun, and we get some A New Hope vibes with Luke and Han in the Falcon. Ahsoka realizes that she has to work with Sabine instead of trying to use the situation to train Sabine, which is something that Jedi do all the time, and that's what makes Ahsoka Ahsoka. Sabine blasts a few of them, and we near the hyperspace ring as they work together, this time on Sabine's commands as she has the gun. Elsbeth shoots down the T six Jedi Starfighter while Shin orders Merak to form up on her wing and wait for her signal. He says, as you wish, in a very robotic voice, kind of like Vader. I think this is definitely a Vader-trained apprentice, and this just gives me the vibes. While it could be a shot in the dark, of course, I think it'd be such a missed opportunity from Dave Filoni if he wasn't someone significant to Ahsoka, with the bridge, of course, being Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader. Two apprentices from the same master fighting against each other, one light, one dark. As Elsbeth fires upon them, Huyang scans it and ends up getting short-circuited as the ship is hit. They are floating in space as Ahsoka puts on a spacesuit and goes outside with her lightsabers. This of course is a callback to The Clone Wars with Plo Koon Season 1 Episode 2 Rising Malevolence, where he and the clones end up in space on the surface of the ship fighting the Separatist B-1 battle droids. We also see this in Season 2 Episode 2 of The Clone Wars, where Anakin and Ahsoka are on the surface of the ship fighting the Vulture droids, and also of course in Rebels Season 3 finale. I love this scene. It was very Star Wars Clone Wars while staying within the confines of the rules of the galaxy. There's no Mary Poppins crap in here from Episode 8 The Last Jedi, as we never see Ahsoka 
using the force to fly to the ship, she actually gets stuck floating in space and she requires Sabine to move the ship under her feet so that she can gain traction again. Those gravity boots looking good. Ahsoka uses her lightsaber fighting style to deflect the blasts and to focus their firepower on her rather than the ship. I think the ship would have taken a few blasts at least, whereas Ahsoka would have taken one, so they were focusing on Ahsoka, as she is really the reason that they're trying to blow the ship up. She is a true Jedi Knight. The fact that she's doing all of this in the slow motion of space while the ships are moving full speed just tells you how powerful and in tune she is with the Force for her to be able to anticipate movements and blasts way before she has to make them. Ahsoka gets back in the ship and they enter atmosphere of Setos with Shin and Merok on their trail. Pergil fly around them and it makes me think that perhaps Elsbeth wants to collar a Pergil to their hyperspace ring and send it to another galaxy. Now that's what a lot of you in the chat were saying. Personally, I think they're still going to attach a ship to it because the Pergil can kind of do this anyways, unless they're trying to, of course, go with it. Now the Pergil are these space whales that can travel at hyperspace. They sent Ezra and Thrawn into the next galaxy. So they use intergalactic travel that no being can really do. And we learn more about this at the end of the episode. Merak seems to shake his head at the Pergil around him, which I know a lot of you in the live stream last night were saying that this gives a lot of credibility to the Ezra is Merak theory, but I just don't think that's possible, man. They escape Shin and Merak and hide in the forest of red-leaved trees, shutting down to not be tracked. The coast is clear and Ahsoka turns Hu Yang back on, as they learn the hyperspace ring was indeed a docking ring that is still under construction, requiring six hyperdrive engines with one final one being put in place. The power this ring could create is astonishing and can send someone into another galaxy. The Jedi Archives spoke of intergalactic travel using star lanes from the Pergil who travel at these speeds, so they were very aware that this ability exists and that other galaxies exist. And so for me, I'm thinking that maybe some other being is in this next galaxy, like the Rakata, it could be the Yuzon Vong, it could be a whole different batch of force users or witches, or heck, maybe wizards. Or something else entirely. Balin stands on Setos, the planet, and knows the Jedi have taken refuge in the forest. He sends HK droids to track them down, and he looks to the distance, and you can feel the conflict within him, that he doesn't want to have to fight Ahsoka. So I think here that there must be some major connection that he has to her, and I think it's because his master was Plo Koon, who found Ahsoka when she was a little kid. I think he was trained by Plo Koon, who also had an orange lightsaber in Legends. Plo Koon is also Dave Filoni's favorite Jedi ever. So a lot of it to me kind of makes sense that maybe that's why he's so conflicted. It's not just because Ahsoka is a Jedi that's remained you know, in this very scarce time period where Jedi don't normally exist and kind of have gone extinct, but I think it's because that he holds so much respect for his master that Ahsoka is kind of like a little sister to him and so he finds the conflict to be very difficult to be able to actually destroy her and so sending those droids after her makes him really uncomfortable i guess we're gonna find out but i'll make another video on that on its own because i think it's a pretty interesting theory and i haven't seen anyone talk about that so it would really make a lot of sense a lot of things align here with you know the color of the lightsaber and balin having all this conflict and you know plo Koon being dave filoni's favorite character it just for me i think it clicks it just it could really bring 
everything full circle. But hey, we'll see what happens. I really enjoyed this episode. I give it a solid 9 out of 10. I think the beginning had maybe a few moments that some people might think were dragging, and but I really don't think so. I think it was building the episode really well. I love the samurai feel to it, the Japanese feel to it. I think, you know, it's very inspired by Kurosawa, who made a lot of Japanese films, samurai films that George took a lot of inspiration on to create the Jedi. So personally, I'm a really happy Star Wars fan right now. I'm extremely ecstatic that we're getting this. I think it's been a long time coming that we've needed some really good Star Wars and Star Wars basically that's on the same lines as what George Lucas would have created. So anyways, guys, thank you so much for watching today's breakdown and for being in the live watch party. I'll see you guys all in all of the videos that I'm going to be making over the week. And of course, I'll see you next week for episode four. Leave a like on this video if you enjoyed it. Check out my merch shop if you want to grab something. And of course, I'll see you all on Spotify and iTunes. Until then, remember the force will be with you always.